This is Books, Beats, and Beyond, where we will bring you provocative music and engaging interviews from music artists, authors, and others with topics that will pique your curiosity. I'll be your host, Taj. Today, I'm talking with William Laurel Katz about the updated version of his definitive book titled Black Indians, A Hidden Heritage. And also joining us is Phil Wilkes Fisico, also known as Pompey. He is a direct descendant of the Seminole Maroons. Black Indians, A Hidden Heritage unveils how the first path to freedom taken by runaway enslaved Africans led to Native American villages. There, black men and women found acceptance and friendship among our country's original inhabitants. Though they seldom appear in textbooks and movies, these two heritages united in their struggle to gain freedom and equality in America. William Laurel Katz and Phil Pompey Fixico, welcome to Book Speaks and Beyond. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having us on. Thank you. So, yes. um, so, um, Mr. Katz, um, if I or I could call you William, I'm not sure. Sure. So, uh, so William, what what compelled you to to write a book about black Indians? <laughs> well, I uh, I was I was doing I was writing a book called The Black West, mm. and I kept coming. I use pictures in my books. And I kept uh, accumulating pictures of uh, out west of Indians who who looked to have African features, mm. and it happened over and over again. And I I I'd pieced it together, and it it was overwhelming. And I and as I looked into it and started to do the research, I stumbled on a on an historian who uh, named Kenneth Wiggins Porter, who uh, taught at the University of Oregon. And back in the 1920s, back when, when I was born, in, in the 1920s, he was researching the uh, intermixture uh, and coming together as socially, politically, militarily, economically, of people of African and Native American descent, which he said was a fundamental part of what was happening out on the frontier. Hmm. And, and, and and you and I, you know, we've seen cowboy movies right. and westerns, and we know all about John Wayne, and we had no idea that there was this third force out there that was opposing the European march across the Americas, wow. opposing the colonialism they imposed, and particularly the enslavement of people. Hmm. Because what was not known was that the first people enslaved here were not Africans. Hmm. They were Native Americans. Hmm. And the Europeans who came over, why, they would have enslaved their, their, their mothers and their mother-in-laws if, if they felt they really needed the labor power. Because <laughs> they that's what they were after. Right. And, and by doing that, they drove these two people together. I mean, if you want, later on, I can go in 
I've been able to trace it back to 1502 and Governor Ovando. Yeah, let's talk about that. To Hispaniola and so on. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I remember in the book, you know, in school we learn about um, we learned that Jamestown, Virginia, had the first European settlement. But your book goes into there were many others before that. And can you talk about yes. a little bit about that and the significance and why yeah, no, it's that, not talked very, about? Well, yeah, well, that's the, what we have is a kind of anglicizing, not only uh, uh, making our history white, but anglicizing as if things started in, in Jamestown in 1609 when the Spaniards had landed. Remember, Columbus landed. He didn't uh, land in North America, but he landed in the Caribbean, mm -hmm. and he explored around there, and that was in 1492. Mm -hmm. And what I and and they immediately saw the Europeans that they had a labor problem. Everybody wanted to get rich, but very few people wanted to pick up a shovel <laughs> and start looking for the gold. They wanted somebody else to do it. Right. So they reached out to whoever was the first. Matter of fact. I I've tra I have Columbus's diary, mm, and wow. on on his first week here, he said, "quote I took some of the natives by force." Mm. I mean, that's what he says. I think it's the day after he arrived. Wow. He he wanted some guides instead of uh, talking to them or hiring them. Right. He, he takes them by force, mm. and he thinks nothing of taking them as slaves. Matter of fact, he takes a group of slaves to send back to show off to uh, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand. Right. And that's where the slavery begins. Right. Now, by 1502, uh, Columbus is no longer the viceroy of the Americas, and a governor of Vando is sent over by the Spaniards, and he lands in a flotilla hmm. with uh, hundreds of people, including about 100 Africans, to do the work. Mm. And and before 1502 is over, let me find the uh, thing here. He finds that they've escaped, and he writes to King Ferdinand. They fled to the Indians. He's talking about the Africans. Mm -hmm. And quote, quote now, never could be captured, end quote. Hmm. And I believe what he's saying there is once these Africans got out in the hinterland of Hispaniola and the Native Americans saw them, they <laughs> these people hugged each other, yeah. they became friends, and, 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 and I also know this from other research, that quote, the Indians escaped first hmm. and then came back for their African sisters and brothers, mothers and fathers, wow. children, uncles, aunts, and so on. Wow. I mean, that's a dramatic. That is. Uh, like that, that should, And these are one fundamental point. These are our first freedom fighters. Wow, yes. That's what they're doing. Right. That is, that is exactly what they're doing.
stand up and raise your fist We are the soul of the country, the reason it exists Idol breeds evil, the people are not feeble At the bottom of the pot is where they try to keep you False information is what they gon' try to feed you Keep telling us we're stupid, say they don't need you Into the burning flames is where they try to lead you Open up your eyes, Harper's lies are so see-through Every generation has its time and every generation has its leaders and every generation has its heroes Every generation has all of that I don't know more, let your heart soar Voice of the people, hear the nation roar Always trying to work and get set for tomorrow But when the women lead, yes a man must follow All are important as Mother Earth's kids But none are more important than the Mother Earth is Equality for all, none above or beneath uh, Praise the Most High and the Mother Teresa Great, great, great changes, changes. It's not negative. It's evolution. It's evolution. No love for no conservatives yeah. Stephen Harper was useless for right. Simply the reason I hate the government Who can you trust? So tell me what gave this man the audacity yeah. To try and take our rights away Don't have to close casket me bang yeah. And Bob told us stand up for our rights And I promise if we stick together We gon' be alright We're seeing some dark days yeah. Corruption, there's no rules These politicians couldn't even walk a block in our shoes Something that's interesting about what you said is um, the Native Americans and the Africans got along. Although the Native, although the Africans are considered kind of foreign to the land, they got along with the Native Americans, but not with the Europeans. What what advantages did the Native Americans see with the Africans, and 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 and, and form an alliance with the Africans? Sure. You know that's a that's a very that's a very good question. That, very few people ask. Let's think of it. You look at the situation. The Native Americans are being driven out, but behind the hedges, behind the trees in the forest, they're looking out at what at the European settlements, mm-hmm. and they see the Europeans, and the Europeans uh, have this look about them. They have clothing. They have guns, they have whips, Mm -hmm. and they're also watching another people, the Africans, Mm -hmm. who are bent over, picking the cotton, bringing in the crops, planting crops, and so on. Mm -hmm. And they realize there's a difference there. Mm -hmm. And and people don't take long when you're oppressed. It doesn't take too long (laughs) to come to the conclusion (laughs) that an enemy of your enemy is your friend, right. potentially. right? And that's why when they escaped, they were often taken in. Now, I have to add this, mm-hmm. because the Europeans are very good at one, really, one thing, and that was playing off one race against the other. Right. The Europeans hired Native Americans to hunt Indians. They sometimes even armed Africans 
to fight Indians mm-hmm. on the frontier. Mm-hmm. And I, I've quotes where they say it's essential that we play off one against the other. Right. And, right. Uh, for example, you, you get on, out on the frontier in 1776, uh, Stephen Bull, uh, a commander in the uh, Revolutionary Army, has, quote, establish a hatred between Indians and Negroes. Wow, just play off. And they use yeah. bribes. Mm. If you caught an African, you got, and they, you're a Native American, caught an African, you got 35 deer skins. Mm. You got three blankets and a musket in South Carolina. Two muskets, two blankets, four shirts, mirrors, knives, and ammunition in French Louisiana. Mm. And when you couldn't get local Indians to hunt the Africans, you went to a more distant part and got those people. Wow. And this turns up in the treaties, the, uh, the treaty between the five nations and the Europeans in 1721. You know, before you say that. Cherokees, Chickasaws, Choctaws, Creeks, Seminoles, all at the promise to return all fugitive slaves. So the five nations, are we talking about the so-called five so-called civilized yes. nations? So That's correct. W- were weren't some of those nations since I don't know the Europeans saw them as civilized were some of them uh condone slavery, but I don't know if it was the same way as the Europeans did. Did they Well, let me explain what happened. Okay, okay. <laughs> the word civilized. Right. The Europeans gave for those nations which accepted slaves, the Europeans Mm -hmm. gave them slaves as gifts. And the idea was, if they had slaves, they wouldn't accept runaways. They would identify with the Europeans. That's what all this was about, the Mm -hmm. bribes of which the Africans were part of it and so on. Mm -hmm. So that's what, and and even the, the Six Nations, the Seneca, Cayuga, Nandaga, Nida, and Mohawk in the seventeen twenty six treaty with them, they had to promise to return all uh uh runaways who escaped. Hmm. And in seventeen sixty four the Europe Euron's promise. <clears throat> so from the earliest moment the Europeans were sowing racial hatred. Right. And and what I think it tells us is that's why this country was built on this. It wasn't just slavery, but it was getting people to hate each other <laughs> so that they right. could play one against the other. Divide and conquer. And this brings up an interesting question. Is Since the early days of the bond between the Africans and the Native Americans, is this a reason why it seems like when you learned about how the slave owner was able to so-called contain enslaved Africans is through their practices of having to deal with the Native Americans working together? Like, did, did they learn some of those strategies from um, um, having to, to try to break the bond between the Africans and Native Americans? To, and that's how they kind of put those strategies toward when they, had, they owned their own enslaved Africans? That was the aim. Uh. But there's another side, I mean, and that's important, Mm -hmm. and I I wanted to state that first. Mm -hmm. But the other other thing is that Africans and Native Americans did get together. Right. If you go back to the five nations, the Africans that mixed among the Seminoles were accepted 
uh, almost as, as friends rather than slaves. Mm. Uh, they they were slaves in name only, and uh, there was intermarriage between the Seminoles uh. and and the Africans, uh. and Africans like uh, John Horse uh, became leaders along with Wildcat, the the Native American. Mm. And uh, Pompey can talk more about that, right? Because his ancestors were involved in that in Florida, and and and, and the most formidable resistance yeah. to the uh, American and and British <clears throat> imposition of colonialism yeah. and slavery. Talk about it. What I'm gonna talk about? Don't want nobody, us to speak, nobody wants to be Ah. I'm coming from the gutter, same place that a body your mother. Different melanin and pigments, but you still my brother. We bleed the same color, share the same traits. We all black, our ancestors were slaves. We all the same but different shades. Black and Hispanic can leave the government in panic when we unify as one. They killing our sons through the barrel with the guns. Racial profiling, sending us to Rikers Island, expecting us to stay silent. I'm sick and tired of orders getting flipped. Being told we gon' grow up to be that or this. Don't tell kids that shit. I'm praying for Bernie on my allegiance. Tell the Bernie like I'm a heathen. They can't stop me from breathing. Rest in peace to Eric Garner. They don't wanna see us get farther. Progress or get far. Using us to bombard our equality and scar. Unifying together. That's our only trump card. So before we pull Pompey in, I just want to help the listener understand if you guys can break out down first off racially, who are the Seminoles? How would you describe how uh, how, how do we describe that? Okay, Pompey, if you want to, absolutely. You want to start Pompey or what? Oh, uh, you know, you're doing great with that, and uh, oh. I love it when you when you. Say it from your literature. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm going to get to Papi in a minute. He's not gonna, <laughs> because he is a direct... Absolutely. ...outflowering, flowering of, of, of this alliance that goes way back. But what, what you had was these two people coming together. There is a unity they found, the love they found, was not had nothing to do with skin color. Mm-hmm. It had everything to do with mutual exploitation of the same people. Right. And the Seminole Nation, I, I can give you its origins, as I have in, in, in black Indians. And by the way, I'd like, just like to mention to your listeners, I have a lot of essays free of charge at my website, WilliamLKatz.com, that they can read at, at their leisure as well as the book is available. And what <laughs> what these people found was that the oppressor had united them. Mm-hmm. And in Florida, Pompey's ancestors started a resistance from the time the United States slave-catching armies invaded Florida in the early 1810s to, to break the alliance. And the alliance was formed, by the way, in Florida. The Seminoles were not from Florida. Okay. They, they were further up. They were part of the Creek Nation. And the first explorers 
were really Africans and also were pirates mm. in Florida. And they had, they had fled south to escape slavery. Mm. And they were set up. And by 1776, sound familiar to us, <laughs> yeah. Americans, the Seminoles left their confederation. They felt uh, ethnic um, oppression from the Creeks. Mm. And they headed south. And it was the Africans who welcomed them into the nations they were building there. So, so, and they set up uh, first a uh, commercial relationship, agri- agricultural, and then the slaveholders were so furious that these two people had found a, um, a freedom base together that they invaded one after them. So, and what the Africans brought the Native Americans was something very valuable. Mm-hmm. They had a crystal clear picture of what the Europeans were like. Mm. They had come here on slave ships. Mm -hmm. They had seen their people thrown overboard, alive and dead. And when they escaped, they brought this knowledge, which the Native Americans lacked, not having met with Europeans much and not having that gross experience. And they brought rifles that they had taken and ammunition and so the Seminoles became armed and Native Americans first became armed because of what the Africans were bringing and it it went on from there Mm. and uh, let me introduce Pompey to expand on some of the Pompey is uh, the president and the founder of the Semeroon Historical Society. Hmm. And he's devoted his life to seeing that this story that I outlined in a a book, that's all I did, was outline this story, that he speaks as a person who represents it in his blood, in Hmm. his skin, in his soul. And he's gone all over the Caribbean. He's gone, and Pompey, uh, if I leave something out, uh, coming with Mexico, he's been invited to Mexico, and I know he worked with William Dub Warrior for a time. in In 2012, he introduced me to give the keynote speech at the National Park Service uh, <clears throat> uh, convention in uh, Jacksonville. I think it was Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, in which I, I talked about what I called the Underground Railroad that ran south. Hmm. And hmm. what I mean by that is the escape of Africans south into places like Florida, hmm. where they were taken in by the Seminoles, or out in the Caribbean, where they sailed to other Seminole islands, hmm. or across into Mexico through Texas. Hmm. And particularly the Seminole people, there was a major migration in 1849 that took thousands of people, African and and another Seminole members, led by their their great leaders, um, uh, John Horse, and and uh, okay, it just slips my mind, and Wildcat, mm-hmm. a Coa through Texas, down 
into Mexico where, as the fugitive slave, slave law tightened over escaping slaves, they brought them into Mexico, their people, where they could live free. And actually, they served the Mexican government for about 20 years. How did the, how did, how did the United States feel about Mexico accepting the um, uh, runaway uh, African, enslaved Africans and, and, and the Seminoles? How did the U.S. feel about that? That's a very, once again, very good question because they were furious. <laughs> and you get, you get uh, U.S. expeditions into Mexico just as they invaded Florida to mm. cut it off and eventually bought Florida so they could suppress this. It was a rebellion of their labor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they saw the uh, Mexican thing the same way. And uh, actually, they were... So uh, Mexico, by the way, had a black president, a black Indian president, Vicente Guerrero, wow. who uh, uh, was one of their generals in their revolution against Spain and helped Spain get free. And in 1829 became president. He not only uh, he had only learned to read at 40 a few years before in the mountains with his men. But he became president, helped write the Constitution. Hmm. Uh, they free, he freed the slaves and even wrote a provision into the Constitution saying there should be no discrimination. The white American slaveholders did not take kindly to that. <laughs> so how, do, how does, the, um, if, if you can, how, how do today's Mexican population, are they as, is this kind of hidden to them like it is hidden to us in America? USA, this history? Yeah, no, that's also good. Actually, in Mexico, uh, there's almost a presumption that uh, Native American people are likely uh, to be mixed with Africans. Oh, okay. Here, it's been ignored, Hmm. but there it's been accepted, and Vicente Guerrero is a a hero. Hmm. I think they have stamps in his honor. Uh, I, and there's a lot of information about him. Wow. He was a very courageous, self-taught man. Half of this country was Mexican first. How you were legal in the land of your ancestors? The Treaty of Hidalgo was a sham and made Mexico give over half of its land to the U.S. Mexican citizens that were already living here was granted citizenship into the U.S. Fast forward to the present, Bill Wallace separating an attempt to place an emphasis on legal immigration. I'm illegally, I can see how you call someone illegal if they ain't a citizen. That label makes sense. But the pilgrims came here to escape the laws of regals, so logically this label that is given contradicts because this was the land first. Cabeza de Vaca explored the continent up to the Colorado Rockies, where Africans and indigenous people rocking with the journey. They saw millions of the populace chilling, building monuments to the sky where basically just rocks and six had living quarters that was popping in better than some apartments that we live in today. They were first in this place, yeah, they paved the way. They were first. That means first. First on the west side of the earth. First. That means first. If you're enjoying Book Speeds and Beyond, do us a favor. Go into the show notes of any episode, click on the iTunes logo to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. So, uh, Pompey, I just want to pull you in for a second. And 
I just want to, and we just want to understand, how did you come to know that you are a descendant of the the Seminoles, Black Seminoles? Yes. Oh, with you is good morning. Good morning. The Tanji for you is thank you. And Gadu Boon is good. His God is good in the Okanisi and the Yuka language of the Maroons of South America. I thank the Great Spirit, my ancestors, Professor Katz, and you, Mr. Taj Salam, for this wonderful blessing. Uh, in answer to your question, how did I learn? I was 52 years old wow. when I learned. It had been kept a secret from me. Um, even my great my grandfather, Poppy Fixico, the original, his ancestry was kept a secret from the Dawes role, where he was listed as full blood. Hmm. Uh, to answer your question, uh, I had a lifetime uh, identity crisis because I wasn't being told, and I had to search and find out the information for myself. And so since that time, I'm, it's now been 20 years since it was confirmed. And uh, my ancestry, uh, as documented by the Smithsonian Institution, is uh, one-eighth Seminole Indian, one-fourth Seminole Maroon, one-eighth African Creek, one-fourth African Cherokee and one fourth African American white. Right. And I've talked so much now, I forgot the exact context of your question. You say, how did I find out or when? Yeah, well, both both of those are good. I think you answered when because you were around, around 50 years old. But how did you find 52. out and, and, and why was it keeping hidden? Why was it hidden? Why was, why was it a secret in your family? Okay, I'll answer the second question first. Actually, um, my mother was married and her husband was in prison. Mm. My biological mother. Mm. My biological father, he also was married to someone else. And when they came together and they conceived me. Mm. Now, that's how it happened. Now, why was I not told? Because actually... I was an heir to the Fixico oil wheel. And so because I was born on the wrong side of the blanket, <laughs> I wasn't quickly brought into that. And for some reason, my mother and father, they even lived together for one year when I was four. Mm -hmm. And I remembered him, but I was never told that he was my father and there was a violent breakup, alcohol. There was many things Mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. So I I went through my life uh, and and, uh, it was because I was really an heir to this Mm -hmm. that you know, people weren't in a hurry to mm. tell me, and my mother felt that she couldn't break through mm-hmm. that barrier. And um, so, uh, it, you know, when I found out, of course, you know, I, I say it was like for those first 52 years of my life, the Great Spirit had cut a hole in my heart. Right. But once I found out, I was able to fill it with this act, act, activism. So how did and, you, and 
<laughs> How did you find out? Was it something you read and you came across and then you went and, and confronted your relatives or? Well, yeah. How I found out is my children, I, I was only able to tell them, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm the beginning for you. Mm-hmm. But finally, as I looked and, you know, I had been researching, running into half-truths, running into truths, all of them painful. And I finally uh, whittled it down to potentially two candidates, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And then I um, was able to find the family. Mm. And they thought, they said, they thought, we thought you knew all these years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now then, I still was not sure. Mm-hmm. But when I finally talked to someone who would become an informant to me, who came up out of uh, Oklahoma, out of the community, she told me that she didn't know that I didn't know. And she says when she was young, she heard her mother and a cousin saying that the, the Glenwood Pixico had a son. Mm. And that was, she had no dog in the fight. Mm. I said, well, why would they be talking about that if it wasn't true? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then I connected with the family, and it's very obvious through our appearance and uh, and and the the oral history that they had about me, it, it all came together. That's so so I I found out on my own. So when you said this, okay, so I know when you said very obvious about the parents because I can say that you, you look like the parents, but it just brought up another question. In America, if someone saw you walking on the street, well, how would they? How do you? How do? How do they identify you? And and after that, how do you identify yourself once you kind of figured out? who you are right well um racially i'm an african native american Mm -hmm. culturally i'm a seminole maroon descendant Mm -hmm. but to the people of america who see me on the street i'm just another flavor of black (laughs) right 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 but i i i put it in this i i I respectfully state that I'm a Seminole Maroon descendant. Mm-hmm. Now, to to take that further through my activism uh, as a North American Maroon for the Maroon Women Chamber of Cooperation of the Caribbean, uh, the Her Excellency uh, Dr. Ambassador Fidelia Grand Galone of the Royalty of the Yuka Maroons, she says to us, you're not a Seminole you're not a maroon descendant to us. You look like a, you have the color of the overseer, but mm. your life is one of the maroon. Mm. To us, you are maroon. Mm.
So, um, I just just to pull um, you both back in together. You you also talk about maroon. You say seminal maroon. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the significance of when you say maroon. What does that mean in relation to the Seminoles? Uh, Leo, you want to? <laughs> well, no, I just I'm I'm enjoying having Poppy uh, detail this whole history. <laughs> uh, what I hope he'll get around to is that he's he's just is he? It's not just this organization he has. Mm-hmm. He has been asked to visit maroon descendants in in a, all over the place. Could you could you list the places? Uh, where where you we were well, spoken and yeah, and you conducted I, your ceremony? Yes, sir. Um, I have, of course, I was brought to Smithsonian in Washington C. D.C. because I was part of the indivisible African Native American in the Americas, the groundbreaking book awesome. and the exhibit, and and I'm featured in that, and and it is uh, uh up at the. Uh, Museum of the American Indian uh, on the Mall in, in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. I've been brought to St. Augustine. Uh, I was in Texas with the descendants of John Horse, and uh, I was invited to Mexico. But because I was living a vow of poverty, not wanting to accept anything for my for 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 promoting my ancestors' history, mm-hmm. I. I, you know, I fell on hard times. I couldn't make that trip, but I've been brought to uh, do the uh, invocation at the Sacred Maroon Ridge in the the Virgin Islands. I Mm. was brought into uh, Suriname, uh, where I Mm. uh, spoke at the Congress of the uh, Seat of Power for the uh, uh, Maroons. And uh, was taken uh, up three rivers and into ten villages in the rainforest, hmm. and that ends in Suriname, and uh, <clears throat> you know many places uh, so throughout the United States and in the local area. I have spoken. So, when you are speaking, what are you talking about to these other communities? What 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 are well, you talking about, and what 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 are they? What are some of the things there? they want to know what some of the common things they want to know well in 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 many cases in almost all the cases i have been invited because uh i was uh, they heard about me through people great scholars like professor katz and uh, dr kevin Mulroy, and i also i have been uh talked to uh, Dr. Richard Price, known as the great one of Harvard University, who's on Martinique, and he is yes. would be the world's authority on on maroons mm. and maroonage. Yeah, and he wrote so, a whole book on it. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, uh huh. And uh, so, what I talk about generally is uh, I speak about. Um, uh, I, I I have, you know, come to learn it's better for me to speak about my ancestors. I ain't no historian. Right. And, I, you know, but I am an informed, dedicated, documented uh, descendant. And, and uh, you know, it is my activism. So um, I, may, I have different... Um, 
you know, a four minutes for this, a 10 minutes for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, uh, I, I speak about the history that I am related to mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. comes down to me. Uh, as I said, my grandfather, Pompey Fixico, on the Dawes Roll, he was listed as a full blood um, Miccosukee Seminole Indian. Can I ask you something? Yes. Dawes Roll, just to help people understand, what do you mean when you say that? Can I defer to Mr. Katz? He's an expert on that. Okay. Well, let me just very quickly say, the, the, the government decided at some point that they would differentiate by the amount of blood they determined were in mm. uh, the bodies of people, whether they were Indian or whether they were black. And and the doors roll was a way of recording this. And if you're in the doors roll, they 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 put you with, if I'm correct, Bobby, within the particular nation or or tribe, uh, and 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 swear to the that that your blood shows that. And and what uh, Pompey is saying is that he has been proven on that right from the very beginning. Mm. And then Pompey, you said that something about your father was not accepted on the Dolls Row or something. What did you say right well, there? Well, no, my 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 grandfather Pompey Fixico, for whom I'm named, he was actually see the inheritance um, of many of the Muscogean. Uh, nations is is matrilineal mm. uh, you know the it comes through the mother you know mm-hmm. even then it was uh uh daddy's maybe i mean mom uh, mama's baby daddy's maybe for sure and so they mm-hmm. built the whole structure of life on that so my great grandmother Dinah fixico she's number 900 on the Dawes roll of only less than 2,000 of the so-called by-blood, full-blood. Mm-hmm. When she gave birth to my grandfather, Pompey uh, Fixico, she registered him as full-blood. Mm-hmm. In truth, and this is what's so fascinating, his father was a Seminole Maroon leader mm-hmm. named Caesar Bruner, who, who had helped translate and sign the most important document to come out of that era, which was the 1866 U.S. Indian Territory Treaty. Mm. Now, why did she do that? Because my uh, uh, great my uh, grandfather being born in, in, in 1894, the Dawes Roll was just coming up. Mm. She had enough foresight to know that she she had the right to put him on there as a Seminole because even as a half-blood, he still would today have the requirements to join as a full-blood, and I cannot join as a so-called freedman because when my ancestry is, is, is traced, I would be... Uh, 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 I couldn't join. I, I'd have to join the Miccosukee band today, but mm. she had the right. Uh, but she had the the, the 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 savvy to know. Well, this Dawes Row. I better. We don't need to talk about his who his real father is. She even had the right to have a baby, even 
though she was married to someone else. Mm-hmm. But because this was a cultural, um, this was a form of bringing the village together and solidifying the future, the uh, black with the indigenous. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So, I, um, yeah. I, uh, could I add that? I, I uh, just to fill in uh, a little further point that Pompey is making. I I just listed for you a while back those treaties with the five nations, yes. with the six nations, with the Hurons and Delawares, in which they signed, re, re, uh, promising to return fugitives who escaped. Right. Not one single fugitive was ever returned. Hmm. under this treaty. Hmm. These two people had so solidified Africans and Native Americans within these nations. They knew what to sign, and they also knew far better how to protect their own relatives. So they never returned one, though they signed the treaties. And and, and, and the story of Pompey's relatives and, and their resistance by fire my rifle fire and bows and arrows goes back to the first invasion of Florida uh, back in 1818, I think it is, by, or 1816, by Andrew, General Andrew Jackson. Mm. And they, they fought them off. And it started for the Seminole Maroons, a 42-year war. 42 years. To keep the United States from taking control in which the Seminoles, and I'm going to say this slowly, (laughs) for 42 years fought off the United States Army, Navy, and Marines Hmm. at a cost to the U.S. Congress of $40 million. This, by the way, is in the 1820s and 30s millions. So it's far more today in which the half of the army, the U.S. Army, was deployed in Florida fighting them. This is up until just about a year or two before the Civil War. Wow. They had this heroic armed resistance, the largest in the American and the North American continent was the Seminole black indian resistance wow and it's a pleasure for me to write about it in black indians so what what yeah, mr salam yeah, yes. mr salam yeah I, I just want to sorry if they can, i don't no. want to forget this yeah uh, another very important place that uh, uh mr katz and professor katz and i have in common because he wrote such a wonderful piece on it is i was uh, invited to Fort, the Fort Negro, they uh, commemoration after 200 years, there was a massacre there, and this is the first public recognition of the United States participating in that massacre, mm. and I was invited to represent the Maroon victims, which I was there with the chief, chief representatives of the Florida Seminoles, the Choctaw, and the Muscogee Creek and high U.S. official, and I was choosing to do the Seminole Maroon Peace Belt ceremony there, and and, and I like Mr. Katz when you deem it uh, 
uh, uh, correct to tell you about Fort Negro. So uh, one one yeah, thing no, that's very important at Fort yeah. Negro. Right, but, but before we before we get there, when you were at the, uh, this just brings up a point. How many currently are in the United States identify as Seminoles, Black Seminoles? Is it a big population? Well, you know, there is a let's say there. You know, I, 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 yeah, I can tell you this on the Seminole Dawes Rolls. This is the, the the most precise way I can tell you. There were a little over. Mm, there was a little over three thousand plus mm. combination of bad blood, and also, uh, let's say, black Seminole, uh, uh, and uh, so the first. Uh, 1900 were by blood Seminoles. The rest would have been uh, so-called Seminole freedmen. Mm. And uh, so now uh, that's the important thing where you own that role, which makes you eligible and to be either part of their 14 bands uh, um, in the Sem- Oklahoma Seminole Nation. Twelve of them are by blood. Two of them are black Seminoles, which is the Caesar Bruna band. That's named after my great grandfather. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, Dosar Barkis band. Mm-hmm. So you have to say of those um, thousand plus um, uh, of Seminole freedmen how many descendants do they have? And mm-hmm. I don't know that so, answer. I don't know. Oh, but it's good amount. Okay. Right. Chewing living by the G code. What the fuck is Fleek though? Don't ask them, what do he know? What I forgot is better than whatever they remember. Never mind, I'm off it. It's quiet for him. Time to put the temper tantrums to the quiet corner. Hush! That's enough, said the ruler. No suckers allowed to break bread or asunder. The daylight, lightning, and the thunder. Sun, moon, and stars, and the hunger. Abundance in bundles, blessings in troubles. Towers and tunnels, views and valleys, waves and peaks. Streets you from sun, planet Earth. And ain't scared of no Mars attack. What type of bars is that? Stay off my chat. I'm up, they call it riot garments. Top five, dial on and on them. Super fly, slicker, top rope. Eagle diving on them. You why you lying, homie? You won't play with my emotions, smoky. Big chief, heart rate, big beat, B-E-Y-I-C, straight jacket, come clean, big said it was a dream, now it's a living thing, with you and living kings, I mean it, I mean, I mean it, I mean, Yasina, Yasin, in the R-E-D, I mean it, I mean, original nation, Rupansalida, I mean, So uh, before we, we, we get into, I, I think you want to talk about Fort Negro. I, I think what's interesting, if I if correct me wrong, I, I think in the book you talked about how Florida was controlled by Africans who escaped enslavement and not not how yeah. we're taught in class that it was 
uh, politically controlled by Spain. Um, talk talk yeah. about the significance of this and why um, we learn in class that uh, it was controlled by Spain and and you know the story how we bought it from yes. um, them. So can you t- talk about the significance of the sure. Africans controlling it and, and so forth? Well, our history has been written that way. Mm-hmm. If they were white people, or even if they were slightly dark, as some of the Spaniards were, um, they were the ones, since they were in Florida, who uh, claimed the government. Mm-hmm. They painted it whatever colors, red or whatever. Uh, but, but the uh, it, it was so poorly governed, they couldn't govern it. Hmm. There were too many Africans there. There were too many Seminoles there. There were pirates there. And uh, But it's, it, it's typical of the way our history is written. And for, let me give you one instance from this war that, that the Seminole people, for 1837, they, uh, uh, Chief uh, John Horse and Chief Coacache and, and a dozen or so uh, black and red Seminoles escape, and they get down to uh, from prison where they're held, and they escape, and they get to Lake Okeechobee, and the United States rides after them, sending General Taylor, who later becomes a president of the United States, mm. leading 800 uh, soldiers, 180 Tennessee militia, and even I, I think some Native Americans. They've hired, and it's Christmas Day, 1837, and they march down there under General Taylor, and he walks into a perfect ambush because the black Indians of this nation know how to fight when you're down there Mm. in that lush Mm -hmm. area, Mm -hmm. and they drive him back, but Taylor gets back to his headquarters, and because he's an American general... He declares victory. <laughs> he declares victory. And, and that's what we get. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I found future historians, including Arthur Schlesinger Jr., the famous historian, congratulating him. Wow. I found <clears throat> President Lincoln congratulating him. Mm-hmm. That's how our history gets written. Well, it's, it's... And as Pompey could tell you, uh, the story about the the 1816 invasion of Fort Negro. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bill, you you wrote such a, a uh, classic article on that. Can 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 you give the details? I'll tell how I'm connected okay. to it. Okay. What um what Fort Negro General Jackson does in 1816. He's furious that the slaves are escaping, in this case, black slaves, are still escaping down to Florida, and they're joining the Seminole Nation. They're being armed. They're forming a resistance to slavery in general. They're fighting the United States, uh, slave captures, and everybody else. And he sends a flotilla down there, and they sail down there, they demand the surrender of this fortress that Spain left, and the Africans 
and some Seminoles took over when they left. And these men have ammunition. They have guns. They have a few cannons. And Jackson's men said, surrender or else. And they said, you know, <laughs> scoop. We're not going to do that. <laughs> so they opened fire. And nothing happens but until they happen to eat the Americans on their ships eat a cannonball and it lands in the middle of the ammunition dump mm. at Fort Negro, which was the name that was given. Mm-hmm. And there's an enormous explosion in which many of the people, men, women, and children, lose their lives and the others are marched back into slavery uh, uh, by these people that are left, in, 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 including some Choctaw mm. who have been hired. And, and then Pompey was invited back there to commemorate that quite correctly as the beginning point of stern Seminole resistance. I leave anything out, Pompey? Oh no, you did a, a wonderful job, you know, and um and and, and and your article that people can access on your uh uh Tell my uh, website is it? I'm gonna have yes, I'm, yes. the article mm-hmm. on my I'm going to have your website in the show notes. So if people want to access your website, they could go right in the show notes and um, they can get um, uh, quick access to that. If if you guys can um, help me just to help people, Andrew Jackson fought this war. I I think it was like a hidden war. He didn't really talk to our government, you know, U.S. government about it. And then we learned I know that it's kind of, I don't have all the details, but then as, then the United States buys Florida, right? It's, yes. why, why, well, how, how come that's hidden? How come we never say what that war, what was going on? And if you could talk about the whole detail, a little bit about what Andrew Jackson did to gang Florida. Well, what Andrew, first of all, we have to know, Andrew Jackson was a, um, a slave owner mm-hmm. and a slave trader. And he was also the cutting edge of the slaveholders' effort to end this bastion of liberty in Florida that was waving hello hmm. and welcome to the red and black African uh, and Native American people of the Seminole Nation. Hmm. And the goal was always to cut that off. And he managed... By getting down there, he was, you're, you're right, he ignored presidential orders. He, he did it secretly. A lot of this stuff, you have to see it in, uh, as developed in the book, Black Indian, explaining it with documents and pictures. And he got down there. But his goal was to successfully, which he did, attach it to the United States. We gave... Um, Spain a few million dollars for Florida as if they owned it <laughs> and they didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's once again our history. White right. people uh, change a couple of bucks and the land of a great value passes from one white group to another mm-hmm. when it's not theirs to begin with. Hmm. So once and that's and, that story. So once it was supposedly bought by the United States, 
that didn't really change anything. So how long, how long was Florida controlled by the black Seminoles and what kind of ended that? Well, I said it, but went on, they controlled us for those 42 years mm, okay. between 1816 and 1858, I think it was. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, the, half the army was there. Millions of dollars were spent. 1,500 U.S. military lives mm-hmm. were lost. We don't know the Seminole losses. They, they could have been far more excessive. Nobody kept track of those. I see. And I, I, I just want to go, this is part of the pattern. I, I want to emphasize this, of these two people getting together that Pompey so brilliantly represents. Yes. Yeah. As one of the, uh, even those that were slaves, there's a famous statement where one of them said, we were eating out of the same pot hmm. as our master and mistress. Hmm. And, and you have people growing out of this mixture. Jim Beckworth, who in 1851 uh, finds a path through the Sierra Nevada mountains to Gold Rush, California, and in 1851, the Gold Rush is on for two years. That's important stuff. It is. But when it gets portrayed in a Hollywood movie, Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Beckworth appears in the movie Tomahawk, 1951, Technicolor, Frontier Classic, his part is played by the actor Jack Oakey. <laughs> now I'm uh, I'm old enough to remember Jack Oakey. He played uh, Mussolini in The Great Dictator. Mm. He's a fine actor, a good comedian. He was no he's a white black guy. Indian, right? <laughs> and and you, you get the, the, the same thing with you know there these guys are all over the place. These black Indians, but their credit is being taken by the white people uh, who make it into this. My pride is fully loaded, my heart is still intact. It takes a nation of millions to try and hold us back. While we've been working with systems designed to jerk us, we standing beefing each other and losing sight of our purpose, huh? We holding weapons and naming them for protection. What you say and what you weapon, I learned you a fucking lesson by dreams that turn to dust from trusting the wrong people. But trust me, we can fight you with nothing but strong people, yeah. From Mohawk to the blood, the stony in the creek, the OG in the soto held it down for centuries. You know about it, baby. The blood of former chiefs They calling me a beast The way I tear a track to pieces It's part of my profession There ain't a single question About my loyalty and to my people This is destiny I see my bad and I'm going out to get it You either with it or you ain't But I ain't blowing my position out Don't just make a stand for the land against the man Cause we can, but 
Japan Even though we damn, we need a plan Let my people get together Fight this power through stormy weather Measure the feathers and weather the leather We better than ever, our efforts will sever So I'm thinking one of the reasons why Florida was so important to gain control of because if word got out to other places where Africans were enslaved, this can galvanize a nation, right? To absolutely, mm-hmm. and 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 that was exactly the reason. And were, was our government more concerned about the relationship between Native Americans and Black and Africans more than they were concerned about? Uh, Africans and white abolitionists. And I, and I say that because it seemed like the Native Americans and Africans were willing to arm themselves and fight while Africans and white abolitionists were more going about it the nonviolent way, which is a good way too, but it just seems like it seems like they more focus on the, the red and black relationship. Is is there any significance or any? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, well yeah, I mean, you, you know, this country faced what they considered a direct military threat. Mm. That's what you're describing. That's mm. quite mm-hmm. correct. But they also had no use for the Underground Railroad and the other ways Native Americans and African Americans were getting together and uniting, which, by the way, as, as Pompey's trips to many of these places point out, these groups are still alive and uh, to their past, and they're still forging unity mm. to get their rights, which are often denied them in certain ways, agriculturally, legally, and so on, in these places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, you know, this battle goes on. You know, black Indians uh, goes uh, far beyond the, the uh, Civil War in, into the post-war period and the efforts of Native Americans and people of African descent to get their full rights. Mm-hmm. So this kind of, if we think about today with the relationship between black and brown and how for some reason we, it feels like that relationship is kind of always instigated as and, and it kind of stops them from coming together. And we know uh, brown people, that population is growing in America. How does the story of the black Indians kind of relate to the current relationship with black and brown people today. Is there any significance in that and, and what the U.S. feels about that? Yeah, I, I think there's ignore, enormous significance because what these two people demonstrated is no, no matter how hard the Europeans tried to play off one against the other, and they tried very hard. They threw their money, they threw their laws, and their government efforts into it, the two people managed to stay together as much as they could and to fight. Mm-hmm. And you have, I mean, you have, growing out of this, you have mixtures that people have heard about today, mm-hmm. like Oprah Winfrey, Beyonce, mm-hmm. Kerry Washington. Mm-hmm. These are people come, who come out of Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, Jesse Jackson, Alex Haley, Lena Horne. <laughs> LL Cool J. Hmm. There's a copy in uh, in in my uh, book Black Indians of LL Cool J holding up his copy of the book. <laughs> uh, they're trying to make this statement, and it's important. It is what they're getting at is we have to remind each other, we Black and Native American people, that we have this story of staying together 
and fighting bigotry, fighting for our rights as much as we can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good point. And um, as we kind of uh, wind down the interview, Pompey, it, is there what what do you want the average person to understand about the black Seminole and their history and and their significance to to America? Uh, I'd like for them to understand that this is a real part of our history that uh, if they study that, they will become awoke. Mm-hmm. And say in the case of Fort Negro, Fort Negro was significant to the uh, power structure of America because it represented a threat equal to what had happened in Haiti. Mm. They thought a nation would be born there at Fort Negro. The British, after the War of 1812, had left a fully stocked fort, a fort stocked for an army mm-hmm. when they left. And that fort they was taken over by uh, Seminole Maroons, some ind- indigenous people. Uh, it was um, uh, cared for by uh, British former British colonial Marines. This is where the uh, national anthem controversy comes about. The Black uh, British Marines who who went down to Blattensburg Road around to Washington and opened it up for British troops to come in and burn it. And the lieutenant with his militia that ran away from these Black British colonial Marines was none other than. Uh, uh, the author of the uh, national anthem, mm. and so uh, Francis Scott Key, and so. Uh, but as far as mm. if they just study Fort Negro, they'll find that 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 the Maroons there, uh, the women and even the children, when they were surrounded by the forces of the United States and their Indian allies, they refused to give up. They refused to be drugged back into slavery. Even the women and children were fighting to their death. It was the richest black community in America because it had thousands of of muskets and pistols and sabers and major artilleries. So if they look at that, they'll learn the importance of it. It's important to me because I had ancestors in and around that community mm. of the that era, and they had came down from the Red Stick War when President uh, uh, Andrew Jackson had massacred so many uh, Indians and also blacks with Indians. And uh, the fact that uh, these people would not give up. They were in Spanish territory. The United States had to send an illegal slave hunting expedition into a foreign country. Hmm. And if they learn, and there's a, uh, um, there's a video on the Florida channel about, uh, the Fort Gaston 200 commemoration. And it shows me actually doing this, uh, peace belt ceremony mm, and this was the first time america has uh, openly acknowledged their part in that in the fort uh, negro massacre and battle wow so study fort negro i would say look at that awesome we would definitely study fort negro yeah, yes 
Could, could I cut in? Sure. I, I, I just am so moved after what Pompey just said. To, to cut in and say, uh, and, and I realize I'm saying this rather clumsily, we who, who listen to this broadcast, I hope there'll be some among those who are listening and hear this broadcast who will think of some way that we can sponsor Pompey to be able to go on and make the geographical trips, the invitations he received from so many places to help work together with these different maroon descendant people. His story really needs to be told. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm just delighted to do broadcasts with him and have my book circulated. But he is the one, he carries this flag now. He's the living symbol of this. I don't know how to do it. But there has to, be, has to be a way that we can raise enough money or form some kind of a organization that sponsors him so he can meet the invitations that he gets from all over the Americas. That, that is a great idea. That is an excellent idea. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Professor Katz. And just one very short Thank Mr. Salam. Yes. I would say never forget that the first Emancipation Proclamation was General Jessup's proclamation, a battlefield proclamation. It was because the black Seminoles, in alliance with the Seminoles, fought to a point where it was decided the only way we can win in Florida is to divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. And they freed. It, this was the first uh, Emancipation Proclamation, March 6, 1837. They freed the blacks to go to Indian Territory. Mm. And Lincoln knew that because Joshua Giddings had been an advisor to him. So the first Emancipation Proclamation was the black Seminoles in alliance with the Seminoles. And they, and they fought and won it. Wow. They, they won it by direct combat with the U.S. military. <laughs> there you go again. There's some more hidden history that, that uh, you brought to the forefront. Wow. Look me. 
Mr. Katz, I, I I don't mean any disrespect when I ask this next question, um, but you know I, I it's it's an elephant in the room, and um, I I have to uh, respect my listeners as well. Um, so I was wondering what what makes you as a, a white man as yourself spend such a considerable amount of time writing about black Indians. Well, I started teaching school back around 1954, and it was so clear from the curriculum that entire people were left out. Mm -hmm. Europeans came over, they were the pioneers, they were the great discoverers, and and I knew that wasn't true because I I grew up in my father's house, he loved jazz music, Mm. and and, uh, so I grew up not only going to sleep I'd, to jazz music, Louis Armstrong, Bessie Smith, King Oliver, but waking up surrounded by books on black history mm. because my father had an inquiring mind and he wondered who made this brilliant music. What else did they do? Mm-hmm. And when I found out what else they did, and I was a school teacher for 14 years, I felt I had to get that story into the classrooms even if I had to bootleg it. And luckily, (laughs) I was successful with a number of books. Wow. But people can find this. Let let me please give my website. Absolutely. Because it gives uh, free access to anybody that's interested in the subject. It's williamlcats.com. You guys hear that? We're also going to put that in the show notes. And that's my Black Indian website. And you'll find essays, you'll find... I think pictures of Pompey there and uh, some of the events he's taken part in. Mm-hmm. And please, once again, if there are any among you listening that can think of a way to sponsor Pompey, let let us know. Yes, you can get to me through the email there. Pompey is the way they is there a way they can reach you by email? Thank you so much, Bill. Uh, you can reach me by R E. This is my email, R-E-F-I-X-I-C-O. That's refixico at AOL.com. Great. And what what I'll do is I'll add your email and I'll add Mr. Cat's website to the show notes as well to make it easy for everybody. And I, I, I guess yeah, the, the, also, yeah. I have ten, I have two hundred and ten blogs on Facebook okay. and many of them touch on this subject. Feel fixico. Perfect. Sorry for interrupting. No, no, that's that's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll add all that to the the show notes to make it easy for everybody as well. So, thank you uh, so much for this information. You stated that um, Black Indian history began with you know the first European landing in the New World, and you know there's been a lot of information that's come out after talking people like. Ivan Van Sertema states in his book, uh, they came before Columbus, that Africans were trading with natives before Europeans arrived. Um, Do do you think uh, maybe uh, black Indian history begins then and not with the beginning at the stages of imperialism? I'm glad you asked that question. I I knew and worked with uh, Dr. Ivan Van Sertema, and he was able in his later works to use some of my my pictures, but the answer to that 
is that Dr. Van Sertimer was correct. Mm. Africans were here before Columbus. Actually, Columbus specifically mentions them, finding them in Panama mm-hmm. when he uh, came to the Americas back in the 1490s. So he's correct. I couldn't go into that. Yeah, I'm not an anthropologist right. as he was. I'm an historian. I have to go by the historical record. Right. I think, but I think that's so amazing because we're learning like from you and Pompey about the Black Indian relationship, and then we can even go further and show that there was yeah. a relationship even before that. Like, I yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing how much history that's yes. hidden out there. Um, yes. Yeah. I think the last question I want to ask you guys, and you guys can both add to this: What do you want the reader? to take away from what we just talked about and take away from your book? What do you really want to want them to understand? Well, if you want me to start, it's, I really would like the reader to take away from my Black Indians book the story that there was another America, that our original, first freedom fighters were people of color. They were the first enslaved and they were the first to unite across racial lines. And that's a magnificent story. It's a heartwarming story, and it's the truth. And it belongs in our textbooks and in our classrooms. Well, guys, I just want to say um, thank you so much, Pompey and uh, uh, Mr. Katz. Bill. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much, Pompey and Bill, for being on Books, Beats, and Beyond. We tr- truly appreciate you. Thank you for Thank having you. us on. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, guys, hope you guys enjoyed that interview with William Laurel Katz and Phil Pompey Fixico uh, about the book Black Indians, A Hidden Heritage. Um, this is information that is very important that we Uh, listen to and share with friends and family uh, because the 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 unification of black and brown people has been going on for millennia and it has always been kind of trying to be broken apart divided and conquered by uh, uh, European imperialism and because it's very it's very important to keep that disconnect but it's time to understand this information so we could push it on to the future and and uplift ourselves and create a nation that is that is equal and that everybody has a say and stuff like this is very important so um i hope you guys enjoyed this interview and and you can go inside the show notes click on um william Katz's website buy the book um and um make sure you study fort negro like pompey said so we can uh, preserve and move this information into the future. And um, also while you're in the show notes, go ahead and click on uh, the iTunes link to subscribe, rate, and review. And click on the Patreon link to support the show so we can keep bringing you uh, enlightening information like this. So until next time, let's read, listen, explore.